you got to be the same person seven days a week. Every situation you're in, if you're a Christ follower and, and presumably trying to do the best, be the best Christ follower you can, I, I can't be a different person on print, in print, or in social media. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Christopher Dixon. He serves many roles as he's going to be talking about. He's a pastor, he's a publisher, and he's also a writer. In fact, he's been a columnist for Word and Way magazine. Perhaps you've been reading him there in the last few years or on our website at wordandway.org. And more recently, he has started as a trustee at Word and Way. And so we're grateful to have him serving us in a number of ways. And I thought it'd be good to introduce him a little bit more to those of you who've been getting to read Christopher over these years to hear a little bit more about the man behind the column. So here's my conversation with Warden Way columnist Christopher Dixon. Well, first of all, Christopher, thanks for joining us on the program. You bet. Thanks for having me. And I know that we are in a crazy time, a crazy year with the pandemic. And so before we start talking about other things, I just wanted to see how you and your loved ones are doing. I hope that you all are staying healthy in this weird year. Yeah, thank you. We are. We're uh, we're very, very fortunate in that we have a family that live in town. And so even though we're doing so very, very cautiously, we are able to uh, to see some family sometimes often actually safely in the yard or at a distance, but uh, we are doing very well. Thank you. And I hope, hope you guys are as well. Yeah. And you are a pastor. You're, you have a number of hats and we're going to kind of walk through some of those, but you are a pastor at West Finley Baptist Church in Fordland, Missouri. I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about your church. You bet. So I, the exact year escapes me, but the late 1800s, the church was founded. Fordland, Missouri at the time was its own separate entity in southwest Missouri. It now is part of the, the greater Springfield area, although it's still far enough out that it's it's still its own town, of course. But, but all that to say, in the late 1800s, Fordland was a, a booming community. And so along with other churches, as was standard of the time that the church was founded, a, a group of local families got together. So we're on something like a hundred and I want to say 137, 138 years. We're we're getting close to our 140th anniversary as a as a church. A wonderful group of people. Interesting tidbit about the church. This is the fourth or fifth building that the church is in. And that's only interesting because a tornado has gotten one of the churches uh, a few generations back. And then in 2003, pre-social media, the church made 
a couple of national newspapers because someone, my understanding is it was a young man, but someone got into the church and it's unknown whether it was in, intentional or accidental, but set fire to the church in 2003, the previous church building, I should say, and burned it to the ground. So in 2004, a new church church building was erected. But I say interesting only in the fact that a fire has gotten one of the church buildings completely destroyed it. A tornado got another another church building years ago down by the river. And so, but the church body itself has been there almost 140 years. And and my family and I consider it to be to be home and a, a wonderful people. That's kind of the short version. Well, the uh, sounds like the gates of hell have tried hard but haven't yet prevailed, huh? <laughs> It, it the 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 body of Christ there is is a healthy body of Christ. You know, we all as as Baptists and as even believers, broader net than Baptists, there are a number of of ways to look at the body of Christ. But trying to be as objective as I can, this this particular body of believers is is fairly spiritually healthy, and I, I can't say enough good things about the body of believers there. We we feel very much at home for our family. Pastoring in a pandemic, I assume, is something you didn't take a class on in school. And Correct. So yes. <laughs> the last six months have haven't been a tornado or a, a, a building burning down, but it has been its own unique type of uh, situation and crisis. And so, I wonder what that's been like pastoring in a pandemic. Yeah, let me share a little bit. It's interesting that you would ask that, and I say that because it has been quite difficult for us, as I'm sure that it has been for. For pastors and for leaders, women and men who lead not only across the United States, but everywhere. And I say that because, interestingly enough, we had been as a church on social media prior to the pandemic, but we and we gave some gave social media some attention. We gave our online presence some attention. But as as was pretty standard for most churches, with social media only being really ubiquitous in the last I wouldn't even say 10 years. I'd say, you know, really mainstream social media in the last five to seven. Interestingly enough, Brian, we had really started making a concerted effort around the first part of 2020 to audio record the messages. We had done that a few times before to put on on Facebook and to put online and and do some things like that or and, and talked about videoing the messages. But there hadn't really been a a real strong sense of urgency and any necessity, you know, any reason that would necessitate doing that. So I don't, I, we'll, we'll just say it was God, literally. I hate, I hate to sound cliche, but we had started taking more seriously the first part of the year recording messages and toying with putting them a few, a few of them on our Facebook page and what technology we could use to, to put those up. And that was really was a God thing because then of course, March hit, some of the challenges there have been we didn't know, like no one could have predicted except for ha- perhaps health, health experts. The second, I believe it was the second Sunday in March, it was clear that we were in the start of a health emergency. But like some other health emergencies that have kind of come and gone quickly, I don't want to compare this to H1N1 or anything else, but the hope, I think, by our church leaders who are wonderful people was that we would be able to carry on. 
and and some churches had already canceled by that second week of March. We did go ahead and reluctantly have service. At, at that point, I don't remember what the, the case count was for the virus nationwide, but we did, did so with great caution and were concerned, should we be doing this or not? I think with the hope that, hey, things will change. And then, of course, after that, by the time mid-March hit, we were we were out. So, and I'm glad to share more, but yes, it has certainly, we were out of church for a few months. And I would say in my years of ministry and certainly the time for the church itself, this pandemic in all kinds of ways has has proven to be incredibly challenging. Yes. Well, I wonder if you could share maybe maybe one unique challenge during this the, this this period uh, for for as a pastor and for your congregation. I think I think perhaps one of the most unique challenges and 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 I'll use the word even difficult or strenuous. One of the challenges that that I have having friends uh, close friends who are pastors has been, I don't want to say division in the church, in our church or other churches, but given, I want to choose my words very carefully, in light of the current environment that we're in nationally, being this kind of this hyper-political, hyper-partisan environment of the last few years, that has some ways, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, bled over into the local body of Christ, ours and others. So one of the, the, the bigger challenges for us, West Finley Baptist, and, and our church will tell you this, has been balancing the respect for those who understand there are serious health consequences that come along with this virus, meaning just being respectful of wearing masks and social distancing. Also being respectful to those who this is not necessarily because they're younger or healthier, so, but they are meeting in person is so vitally important to them. And that is understandably, like it is for all of us, our sense of identity. I think the unique challenge has been there for us is how do we meet and respect everyone's belief system across the board? And I don't mean politically, I just mean from what they believe about the pandemic to be true. And, and we've done that, I think, I hope. And by that, I mean, I'll give you a couple specific examples. We have one section, being that we're a, a little bit of a rural church, not urban or suburban, there are no, in, in our county where we are, there is currently no mask mandate in place. That being said, we have a number of nurses and folks that are involved in public health that are active in our church. So we understand the importance of masks and we understand the importance of keeping your distance. We also understand the spiritual needs of young people and our seniors and middle age of of needing to continue activities. Let's say the pandemic goes on for another, heaven forbid, year or so. Can we stop all activities for a year and a half or two years? And after a significant amount of prayer and deliberation, the, the answer for us has been, how do we carefully ride that line, be very respectful of the seriousness of the virus? And so we've answered that by having very limited 
We, we still don't do any Sunday school small groups. Our meetings are incredibly limited, primarily to worship and, and an occasional outdoor activity. So how do we balance that? How do we not require people to do something they may, may feel they shouldn't have to do wearing a mask? How do I be respectful of that opinion as a pastor? We have other folks, of course, I assume, like many churches, that think that we, we perhaps shouldn't even be meeting at all, indefinitely. How do I respect that opinion? So to, to answer your question, we, we want to be a safe place in Christ rather than a political place or a place where we argue over how that pandemic is playing out. We are there to worship. We're there, we are there to worship Christ, not to bicker. And so how do we keep people safe and be respectful of health concerns and very respectful of a very serious pandemic and also respect people's freedoms that they have in Christ should they feel differently? I appreciate you being willing to kind of talk that out loud because I know that you're wrestling with issues that, that lots of pastors are wrestling with and it's difficult and there's, there's, it's, and it's, we don't really know what the right answer is and, or even if there is, Uh, I mean, I think, I think with a lot of these decisions we're making in the pandemic, it's the, we're going to try to make the least bad decision given the situation. And so I appreciate the fact that you're willing to kind of articulate that and express that, that openly. It may be too early and there may also, you may not actually see anything in this, but I, I wanted to ask the flip side of that. Has there been a a unexpected or hidden blessing or something that's been positive, you know, from this moment for your congregation or for you as a pastor? Yes, it, there has been. And, and I hate to sound cliche because I don't like cliches, but and I've heard this answer, what, what I'm about to tell you uh, be given before. But I believe it to be true. We have noticed we we stayed out of church, out of the physical building that is for it was more than three months. I don't think it was quite four, but we, while we formulated a plan and did the online church only, had a, had a number of leadership meetings and, and really, again, not to sound cliche, but really prayerfully considered, should we be going back to church at all? Should we try to do this, you know, online worship indefinitely? The decision was made that we probably can't do that since we have no end to the pandemic in sight. So to answer your question, one of the blessings that we've seen out of it has been these last few months as we're cautious, we have every other pew taped off and we have uh, take everyone's temperature at the door and we have optional masking and a mask only section so that folks who are immunocompromised but would still like to worship, which we have a number of folks. So what we are seeing in a, in a, this current environment, I would say a trifecta, but it's really more like a four or five fold with the, with the wildfires now and climate change. We're seeing this here in September of 2020. We're seeing people really spiritually hurting for, in my opinion, it's God or the love of Christ, but they sometimes don't know what they're hurting, what it is they're searching for, what, why they're hurting. So the uptick has been for us is our visitors have been pretty consistent, meaning folks who come in the community who maybe haven't been to church in quite some time. We've had a couple of folks that haven't been in church for years. They're two friends. 
they come together. They have been there the last month or two consistently every Sunday, really soaking in God's word and have have just told me, hey, we, we really need to be back in church. We're, we're hurting. So a, a blessing, it's not, the blessing isn't that people are hurting, of course. The blessing is when people have, wherever they are in the Midwest or the United States, or whether you live in South America or Europe or where, wherever it is, Caribbean, wherever it is you live, when people have a local body of Christ, the, the huge, in this global pandemic, my opinion to answer your question is that the blessing has been there are all kinds of places people can search for fulfillment. Instead of online conspiracy theories or on social media or what have you, when they turn to the body of Christ, they have they find real answers that are truly fulfilling. And so that has been a real blessing for us as a church. People coming and saying, hey, I'm, I'm so grateful that I can be here. There's not a lot of places I can go. There's not a lot that I can trust right now in this crazy world of news or what have you. And so uh, we've had several people come up to us and say, hey, thanks for having church. I know it's tough. And so that's a huge, huge blessing that people who are seeking um, something, they don't know what they're seeking, can can come come to church. And we've actually seen at for pandemic attendance we're at, we, we can't get a lot more and still maintain, so in the building and still maintain the distance that we need to maintain. So that, in a way, that's, that's a, it's not, not of course, a, a blessing that they're hurting, but it's a blessing that they're seeking out answers from, you know, from God and his word. And that's great to hear. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a reminder that, you know, this isn't necessarily the situation we would choose, but, you know, we have to minister where we are and this is where we are yes. right now and where we, Probably shall be for some time. Well, you you also have a couple other roles I wanted to make sure we talk about. Well, one of them is you're involved in the the publishing business, which I don't know, maybe another one of those areas that is is an interesting time to be in the world of publishing. And so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about about your company. Yeah, so Alexio Publishing, and it looks like election without the the without the N, so. E-L-E-C-T-I-O, and Lexio is Latin for to read or to read with a higher calling. And so that's where, where the name of Alexio Publishing comes from. And and what what's interesting is people are reading more. So book sales online are are strong. Book sales are good. I, I have a little bit of a heart for our authors. We had a new release excuse me, let's see, yesterday, although we have pushed back a lot of those new releases for a second time into the spring. The good news is people people are reading books. Quality books are never going to go away in a pandemic. Certainly allows people time to be at home. And just like they watch movies, reading a good book is something they have a little bit of time for now. So that's a good thing. And they can purchase those online, of course, Barnes & Noble online or, or Amazon, of course. But And they can or download it straight to their e-reader if they, they prefer the, the electronic electronic copy but <clears throat> where my heart goes out a little bit to our authors in all the years we've been doing that this is the last six or seven months have been the first time that they've not been able to do live events so the upside of, of publishing right now is that people have time to read talented authors have time to to write and they have time to 
do online promotion, which we believe is important. The only downside I would say is, is a big one, and that is that even in a digital age in the 21st century, people who read books of any type, whether it's the small independent author or Stephen King or whoever it is that you read, would like the opportunity to meet that author or at least know that they have that option. And so where my heart has really gone, this isn't, you, you know, you asked me about the company, but I'll just say that my heart has kind of gone out to authors because they're a little bit, their hands are tied to a certain extent in that they cannot do readings at their local coffee shop or really even at their local church. So that's where we've really tried to have good communication, I hope, with our authors and say, hey, hang in there. This too shall pass. We don't know when. And then, of course, we've had a couple of releases this year and, and then also tried to delay some of those. And we are delaying a number of them until hopefully such a time where they are able to get back out in their respective communities throughout a couple other continents, too, but primarily the the 48 contiguous United States. So that that's two, a good an upside and a downside. So uh, what kind of books do you publish? Publish a little bit of everything with the exception of we don't do anything that's contrary to faith, but nonfiction and fiction both. So I would say things that we lean towards a little bit are our memoirs, true stories, true crime, things like that. We do, of course, being faith-based, we do publish things like Bible studies and books of that nature. Uh, what we don't publish, we don't publish, of course, anything that's contrary to, you know, directly in contradiction to God's word. So you wouldn't find us publishing any kind of erotica or any, any Fifty Shades or anything like that. I would say when you ask what kind of books we publish, we're ecumenical in our approach in that our, our books, our authors, we don't necessarily even dive into whether they're Baptist, uh, Methodist, Assemblies of God, Nazarene, what have you, Catholic. So we, we are faith-based, but to answer your question, we we like things that the, whether a person's a Christ follower or not, things that are well-written tend to sell and, and do well. Things that are, are not terribly well-written, we don't. So we we publish a little bit of, of everything with a few exceptions. We haven't haven't done much poetry in the last last few years and there's a few things children's books those are for our particular press a, a little bit tougher but it's not that we don't like them it's just we're not not open to those right now but fiction a good good fiction read good historical fiction good memoir all of those we're we're interested in well this is a, obviously a pretty unique role different from that of being a pastor and so i wonder yes what have you learned about about writing about faith through the role of being a publisher. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. One of the, the most interesting takeaways that I have learned in the role of being a publisher is that sometimes quality and what the public wants, and, and I want to say this very, very <laughs> cautiously, but this isn't any, and this is not a, not a, not some sort of trade secret or industry secret or anything like that, but Sometimes the things that do really well as far as from a market standpoint surprise us a little bit. And so by that, I mean, uh, you can have the, you know, the next War and Peace, you know, the ne next great classic, next uh, Moby Dick or, or what have you. And you would think, wow, this is really the public's going to. But one of the, to answer your question, one of the most interesting things about being in publishing 
faith-based or otherwise, is that the public is very fickle, and we as a reading public are a little bit hard to predict. <laughs> so that's probably <laughs> that's probably one of the more interesting aspects of being a publisher. You would think, well, gosh, this is a really phenomenal story about how the power of Christ really shaped this person's life and helped her or him overcome these incredible obstacles. And by every metric out there, Brian, it should do really well. And perhaps it doesn't. I'm just using that as an example. And then conversely, you might have your, just using this as a hypothetical, but you might have a a great fiction memoir that you think, eh, you know, this is a great story, but I just don't, I don't know that the public has much of an appetite for it. And it'll, it will do really well commercially. So I, I think one of the more interesting things and probably frustrating to an author, any author, is the sense of not being able to predict, you know, we, we joke in our circles that if, if we had a magic eight ball or what have you, we'd go buy, go buy some lottery tickets, right? Because if you could predict what was going to be the next hot book or the next hot thing, you, you'd, you'd have the, you know, have the magic, magic eight ball and you'd have, have everything wrapped up. But it's just, it's tougher to do than that. So that's the interesting tidbit is things you'd think do really well. They may, but they may not. And things that you think, boy, this is, eh this isn't too bad. It's publish worthy. And you go, wow, this is, this is really doing well. So that's kind of an interesting side note of the business. Well, in addition to pastoring and publishing, you also write yourself. Yes. Uh, you've been writing a monthly column for Word and Way magazine for a couple of years now, before the, even before that. And still you write for the Springfield Newsleader. And so I wonder if you could talk about how did this side of your ministry grow? Where did this, this part of your work come from? Yeah, that's interesting. So off and on, I've written for all of my adult life. And, and so I think this coming spring, it will have been about a decade now that I've been writing for the newsletter. And one of the things from a ministry standpoint, the, the question I ask even for a secular publication that that is pretty well read even to this day between online and print is, you know, how can I shine the light of Christ? And you know this from writing as well. We always want to tell the truth and tell it unvarnished if we can. And I say tell the truth. It's an opinion column in both the situations that you mentioned. But but that being said, sometimes from a ministry standpoint, how can I point out some things that maybe need to be pointed out? That's that's a matter of prayer each and every every time you write a piece, right? Because uh, I have to ask myself a couple of questions: Am I am I honoring God in what I write, regardless of how how truthful it is, or how let me say, not truthful, how uncomfortable it is? Am I honoring God? And sometimes, like you do, Brian, I write about public folks who are in the public eye in Greene County. Sometimes they're elected officials. And I have learned rather than just, I always want to be careful from a ministry standpoint that I'm not smearing that person. The question becomes, could I read what I wrote out loud? Or could I be in the same room with this man or this woman and say to them what I have said in print? Because just like the screen and social media has given people this anonymity, this feeling that they can say anything they want without repercussions, 
having written a, a column now for almost a decade for a, a little bit larger publication, the question, I, I have been in the situation a few times where I've maybe written about an elected official, and two days after that column comes out, I am in a meeting, a leadership meeting, with the very official that I wrote about. <laughs> and so that, that, as you very well know, it's not only for an accountability piece for myself, but the question then becomes, here's another way to say that from a ministry standpoint to answer your question. We have a, as you know, we have a 14-year-old son. And the question is, could I read anything that I write for a secular or a faith-based publication at church? Am I the same person on Sunday morning that I am, say, on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday night or, you know, pick your day and time? And, and with children, as, as you know from having a son yourself, what we try to instill our older son, we have a, a baby too, but hey, look, man, you got to be the same person seven days a week. Every situation you're in, if you're a Christ follower and, and presumably trying to do the best, be the best Christ follower you can, I, I can't be a different person on print, in print or in social media. You know, I love motivational stuff. But at, at, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm a motivational speaker at church. It just means I'm the same person, the same parts of me are all present in every situation that I'm in. So to answer your question, that's a ministry role, even in a secular publication, certainly for a faith-based publication. And it's easy to, I think, in a faith-based publication to when writing about public officials, whether it's at the national or state level, I have to be careful speaking for me. I can't speak for you or other writers. Let's say I'm writing about a governor or a mayor or something. I have to remember that despite all of their flaws, number one, they're a, even, even, I'll say this tongue in cheek, realizing that, you know, what I'm saying, even if they're a sociopath or a, a, just a really terrible leader, they're still a human being. And that's hard for me to remember sometimes. It's easy for me to demonize folks in my mind. And God still created them and loves them, even if I don't. So there's a lot of people I just don't care for in politics. And I'd say that from the pulpit or to my children, or there's just a lot of people I don't like. The fact of the matter is, as uncomfortable as those men or women may make me, God still created them, and Christ still died for them. And and sometimes, you know, I, I, that's tough to, to say out loud. But I'm not necessarily any better of a person, quote unquote, than the person I'm writing about. So how do we balance that when we write? So that's a, that's a long answer to your question. Yeah, but I think that's a good reminder to all of us, even those that aren't writing in a publication that, you know, thinking about that as they're posting on Facebook, right. especially as we find ourselves, you know, in this, in this election and, and other times when things might be controversial and it's, it's easy to, to post something about somebody. That's right. I have one last question for you. It's, it's related to writing. And I wonder, you know, you've, you're thinking about communication and, and mediums of communication in a lot of different ways. And so how do you approach your writing ministry? You've been talking about ways that it's very similar. You want to make sure it's consistent with the, mm -hmm. who you are in the pulpit. But how, how do you approach your writing ministry sometime in a, in a way that's different from how you might preach? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And 
I think they're very distinctly different. I don't know if you would agree or folks who who write and, and pastor or write and speak would agree with this, but I, I think they would in that, you know, writing a column, whether it's a faith-based publication, you know, an award-winning publication like Word and Way or a, a secular publication that news leader, whatever the case may be, with writing, we have the chance to put it down for a little bit and go back to it. Even, even if we're writing it that day, you still have 30 minutes or 60 minutes or a couple of hours, put it down, walk away, do something else. And you can go back and read. Uh, now there's, there's an up and a downside to that. A after taking a little break and reading something that you've written, especially if you've gone and done something else, you, you have the chance to come back and say, you know, this isn't exactly how I've intended to word this. So one of the upsides of writing, of course, is that you have the opportunity to correct, not necessarily mistakes, but perhaps phrase something in a better way than you did the first time. Now, so that's an upside. The downside, of course, is that emotion, I'm a big fan of emojis in text. You know, my wife and close friends will tell you that I, I love the smiley face and the heart and the the thumbs up and the thumbs down and all of that. And the reason is because in the written word, the nuance of the voice cannot be heard, of course. And so even a hundred years ago, there was no social media and there was no, nothing of that nature, but there was, there were newspapers and there were magazines. And so I think writers are always cognizant of the fact that what I'm writing literally can only be taken in the context of however someone would read it without the, the benefit of voice inflection or tone or, or volume. So that's, that's how we approach writing, right? We, we say, you know what, let me rework this. And most of us, at least some other writers that I know, will look back on something we've written perhaps a year later and either wonder if we intended to come across the way we did or certainly think, boy, I should have maybe phrase that a little bit differently. Or as you and I've discussed, we may, we may look at something we've written and go, you know what, that's not terrible, but I sure could have, could have done that a little bit better. Going to speak, to answer your question in regard to speaking, it's a, it's a one shot. So the, the downside to speaking, and I'm very cognizant of this having pastored now for quite a few years, when it comes out of your mouth, there's not, if you're really trying to do the best job for, for the body of Christ and for God himself, you need to be aware that when it comes out of your mouth, the first time is how it's, it's taken. So perhaps a very different aspect from writing is that the spoken word, the minute it's said, say you speak for a 30-minute sermon or message, as it comes out, it's it's being received. So the downside of that is, unlike the a column, there is not the chance to go back and rework and rework like you might do a column or a book or a you know a short article for a periodical. The upside, I think, for those of us in ministry, is they can hear our voice inflection. If it's a very somber moment or a very a moment where we're attempting to honor scripture, or honor a person or honor God, they can hear that in the inflection and the tone of our voice. And 
those reflective pauses that are not indicated in print can certainly be done in a vocal or audible situation. So there's some upside. So the, the, the short answer, or perhaps the long answer to your question is they're just very different. And of course, most pastors like myself, we write out our messages, or at least notes, very carefully and ask God, hey, please, please speak through me. Please, one of the prayers that I've said for years before you, that's a little different than writing a column, an opinion column, of course, is when you're in front of a group of people who are taking notes and the scripture is up on the screen. One of the prayers I think all of us as pastors probably say is, hey, Lord, put aside, I know this, we've we've all heard this before, but put me aside for a few minutes, if you would, God, and whatever words need to be spoken need to be yours. And so what's interesting is I try not to vary from the notes a lot, but I do believe God works. Pastors and leaders who are fervently seeking God and what they do, to answer your question for the, for the ministry from the pulpit, it sounds kind of old school and kind of a little bit cliche, the old school Baptist, but but it's true in that if they are allowing God to use them, they are going to vary slightly at least from their notes from time to time because they're open to what God is doing through their through their sermon or message or what it, what whatever you'd like to call that. So that's a long answer to your question, but I think it's it's two very different approaches due to the Two different two different mediums. Yeah, and I appreciate the fact that you you think about the differences in these mediums, and and that's one of the ways that you've been helpful to Word and Way. Not only have you been writing for us uh, with your monthly column, but you are serving as a trustee on our board, and we appreciate the insights and the expertise that you bring to this ministry. And so, you know, thanks, Christopher, for all that you are doing, for what you have been doing for Word and Way, for what you are doing in all these other ministry roles, and for your time on the program. Well, thank you, Brian. I enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. Although you can buy books from Alexio Publishing and a number of places where you normally buy your books, you can also look them up directly at alexiopublishing.ecwid.com. Again, that was almost like a lection, only without the N. alexiopublishing.ecwid.com. As always, you'll find us at wordandway.org. Don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people find the show. It really does help. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it, especially in these unusual times of coronavirus. And, and so all you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button and whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, if you're not a subscriber, I have a deal for you. You can get your first year for half off. Just go to tinyurl.com slash wwoffer. If you have any comments or questions about this program, you can send those to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.